Hi there, welcome to the Shift Control Podcast. Well, welcome back to the Shift Control Podcast. My name is Paul McAnallen. Thanks for joining me for episode 16, which is an in-conversation podcast with um, Kevin Young from InMind. Kevin is an experienced um, sales person, sales leader, business person, and now um, a counsellor and therapist in the method of compassionate inquiry. He has um, a really... He's a really good lad, you know, he's um, very easy on the ear, he's one of life's good guys and he's able to frame a whole bunch of stuff easily where some other people might find it challenging to do so. That stuff would be about, um, you know, conscious and subconscious behaviours, um, behaviours learned as a, a youngster that can be changed and can be can be made aware of, can be focused on and can be changed, but that's all in the context of individual transformation and organizational transformation it's not just getting very deep into the personal psyche this is about um, personal individual and organizational transformation which should be relevant to those people who are working in high performance businesses or high performance uh, sales roles or who just want to see a different version of themselves talking out on a Monday morning so I hope you really enjoy the podcast it was uh, it was a lot of fun to, to record and very interesting he's a He's a really interesting guy, and um, I'll let you make your mind up yourselves. Um, detail, details on how to get in touch with Kevin um, are discussed at the end, but if you need to find out quickly then um, and you want to read about Kevin as he talks, uh, inmind, I-N-M-Y-N-D dot com, and his LinkedIn and uh, Facebook um, links are on the notes with the podcast. So yeah, uh, enough for me, and I hope you enjoy. Kevin, thanks for joining me this morning. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing really good. It's a beautiful misty morning in County Down and I'm feeling good. Thank you, Paul. Good man, good man. Um, the predictable and probably the, the logical way to start is just to give everybody a bit of a, a background on who you are and a, a better understanding of what it is you, that you do, if that's okay. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, so, Paul, I grew up in hospitality. My, my parents were cafe owners, chip shop owners, caterers and golf clubs and schools and colleges. Uh, and from a very early age was, was working in that industry. Uh, you know, always, always around people. Uh, kitchens, restaurant floors, huge functions, uh, and, and you know I can remember as, as early as seven, peeling what seemed like at the time of Mourn Mountain-sized piles of potatoes, you know, to uh, to, to to cater for you know uh, Christmas fairs or, or whatever. Uh, then. From that, working in pubs, nightclubs, going through uh, tech school and tech and, and university. Then took myself off and, and lived in, in Holland, Germany for, for a few years in my late teens, early 20s. Uh, and again there, I found myself very quickly managing people, managing people who, who didn't speak English. Uh, 
you know, and, and got a really early sense that, that I seem to be projected or project myself into management roles, you know, and maybe they weren't defined as management roles at the time, but, you know, I was the go-to guy in the factory when we were packing tomatoes or, you know, uh, driving forklifts. Came back from that and spent then almost a decade working in, working for Vodafone. Uh, and starting off with sales advisor and senior sales advisor, assistant store manager, store manager, cluster store manager, uh, stand-in regional manager, and doing various roles there of traveling around the UK in, in training roles, in process management roles, team development roles, uh, and, and that sort of role, that idea of working with people always came very easy to me. Uh, never struggled with it uh, and, and thrived on it, thrived on presenting and thrived on being in front of people, thrived in that learning environment or teaching environment. You know, in fact, when I was growing up, I went to Queens to study mathematics and wanted to be a maths teacher. And due to the attraction of uh, pizzas and pints in the empire, uh, <laughs> I, I, I kind of fell short on, on that one. The, the, the pizzas and the pints seem far more attractive than studying pure maths and statistics. Uh, but I very much see myself as always being in that teaching role. Uh, then after Vodafone, I, I, you know, I find myself doing what my father did, which I said I wouldn't do, which was being away from home a lot. You know, up early in the morning, home late at night, I, I would be going to work in Glasgow or Southampton or London for, for weeks at a time. You know, I'd, I'd had a young family at this stage and I just thought, hang on, this is not the road I want to take. You know, I'm with Vodafone. I had a real great career path mapped out and they knew where I was going and what they wanted me to do. Yeah, you know, there was lots of money, and, and but yet here was I missing home, uh, which is exactly what my father did when he was working. You know, he was a chef, uh, Mother's Day, Sundays, Boxing Day, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, Easter Sunday. That's when, that's when hospitality people work, summer, you know, when everyone's off. So I said to my wife, uh, I, I, I don't think I want to do this anymore, and, and I'd like to uh, open a cafe. A bistro, uh, which we did. Uh, and what age were you whenever, whenever you you came to this realization, Kevin? Uh, I probably came to the realization uh, uh, just before I was thirty, and then manifested, if you like. So brought that uh, brought that dream to fruition probably early thirties. Then thirty two, I think, or something was about then, uh, and just handed my notice on the Vodafone and said. You know, I've, I've really appreciated my time here. I've learned a whole lot, loved it, but I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, and I opened a small cafe bistro in Zainfield, County Down, where I live. Uh, and it was amazing. You know, I was uh, a real part of a community. Uh, 
I, you know, I was the, the, the cafe became, you know, and this isn't in, in, in my own words, this, you know, it became the, the the social hub of the community that I live in. Uh, I love that. You know, I, I knew everyone's name. I knew everyone's coffee. I knew how many sugars they took. You know, I knew I, it's like cheers. And, uh, but and again, developing people, working with teams, you know, working with customers, uh, learning people, understanding people, you know, and, and, and having a real, and it's, it's, it's a learned skill, you know, that, that I would appear at a, a table with a teaspoon and someone say, how did you know I needed a teaspoon? You know, and you just see that drop of someone's shoulder or a lift of an eyebrow or, you know, and you know, sure, they're, they're missing a teaspoon. Uh, I, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, I, I, I the creation of food. I loved cooking and being creative with food. Uh, I loved how we brought musicians in on Saturday nights and it was a real hub, real, real brilliant place. Uh, but it's hard graft, hospitality, you know, and retail. They're, they're hard graft. There's, there's no doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I was into my cafe a few years, there was then a pattern developing of people coming to me and saying, could I talk to you about opening a cafe? Absolutely, you know, and I gave my time and information freely, and, and uh, just loved helping people. And after I'd done this, you know, maybe five or six times, I'm helping people to open their cafes in, in various uh, provincial towns and villages. You know, I can remember saying to my wife, I, wa- "I wonder, is there a business in helping people to open hospitality businesses?" Uh, and again, you know, I think probably something that I am is, is able to change direction quite quickly. Uh, and that, that may be, that, that, that may be complete, uh, you know, ignorance and, 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 and or maybe fearlessness. I, I, I'm not so sure. Uh, and I decided that that's what I'm going to do now. So I, I sold my, I sold my hospitality business and, and moved into opening helping other people open their businesses and you know through Vodafone and through my own learning with my own family you know I'd been trained in cognitive behavioral therapy I'd been trained in neuro-linguistic programming uh you know we've been trained in, in, in people management we've been trained in, in giving and receiving feedback trained and all that stuff uh and again find it easy to help people open their businesses but quickly realized that the help that people needed wasn't exactly what I had thought. I was thinking strategic help, you know, mm-hmm. business planning, employing staff, where to find equipment, uh, how to hunt down suppliers, you know, this type of thing. And what I quickly realized was the help that people needed was, was emotional, was emotional support, uh, was dealing with their, their inner demons that themselves, their behavioral patterns, their communication styles. Uh, so these kind of soft, softer things that people were looking help for and whether they knew that or not it was evident that that's the help that they were looking and and i think that's that that was the moment that i realized that's what i love going deep with people and understanding people and helping people understand themselves is what i loved so i then we're coming straight into interrupt there were these, no, were these no. people were these people like you were they coming from corporate backgrounds, um, 
and wanted to do their own thing and work for themselves? Were they working in public sector? Or did they just wanted to start becoming a bit more commercial and earn a bit more cash and all that sort of stuff? So you had a lot of similarities, I guess. Yeah, both of those were very were very typical. So people coming from corporate and people coming from uh, uh, public, you know, the, the, the public field, public service. Uh, that was a very typical demographic of the type of person that had got to a certain period in their career and thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to work for myself. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, that was very definitely here. You've hit the nail right in the head. It was very definitely the people that were coming. Because the, ch- the challenge is that um, as a business owner and running running a business, it's easy to run a business from the outside to the other side of the counter, isn't it? And oh, I'd love to do that and I could do that. And the taste of a beautiful scone at half 10 on a Saturday morning with a lovely coffee. Wouldn't it be lovely to do this? And then... When you take the keys over, it's just, it's a different world. Like, it's different. Really, Paul? And one of my first questions to people was, why do you want to do this? Tell me why you want to do this. And, and you know, quite often I would get, because I love making scones. Yeah. Or, or, you know, I, I love serving coffee. And my answer would be, do you know what? Just stay at home and make scones and serve coffee. <laughs> uh, or, or another was, was, I love baking. Yeah, and like okay, so stay at home and bake, you know, yeah. because that's not what you're getting into here. <laughs> that's 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 ten percent. You know, it's an important part. Of course, it is. But we're talking about paper management, supplier management, uh, cash flow forecasting. Uh, you know, relationships with uh, with with people. Uh, you may be great at making cakes, but can you stand and initiate a conversation with someone at seven thirty in the morning when they're coming in for a coffee? Yeah. You know, uh, so it was always, why do you want to do this? And you can see very clearly the people that had their eyes open uh, and the people that had that rosy, oh, you know, coming in here on a Saturday and the music's playing and the place is warm and I like that part. Yeah. Like, mm, well, then, do you know what? Just come in on a Saturday at 12 o'clock when the music's playing and the place is warm. Yeah. And buy a, and buy a coffee. If that's, what, if that's what you like. Uh, so that was a, getting a real understanding of why people wanted to do that was really important to me. And to them. Yeah. Uh, so appreciating that I really like the emotional side of things and, and the behavioral patterns and what's driving people and, and what's stopping people. Uh, where are their triggers and their, their blockages? I then went on and studied most recently with Gabor Mate uh, and, and, and became, uh, the title uh, sounds very grandiose, but I, I am a professional practitioner of compassionate inquiry. That is my title and qualification. Uh, and that, that's, that's what I do now. I, I use compassionate inquiry <clears throat> and I suppose some NLP and some CBT and some strategic planning stuff, but mostly compassionate inquiry to help people understand themselves. And when people get an understanding of themselves, they get that. <gasps> All right, so that's why I do that. Yeah, uh, and they get that healing. They get that, you know, and that's a very spiritual word. I appreciate, but they get that. They get that insight. They get. They get to be able to move close to themselves and understand themselves. Their relationship with themselves flourishes. Their relationships, their intimate relationships, wives, husbands, partners, uh, bloom and flourish. How they parent if they're parents flourishes uh, and, and really how they view the world and how they see that the world views them uh, flourishes as well 
and it's something now that I, you know, I, I really feel that, that, that where I've come from, the experience that I've garnered has brought me home. This is what I love. You know, this is what I love to do. And it works, Paul. You know, it, it works. I, I, I see people get results. Uh, you know, I had a bit of feedback last week from a girl. The feedback came through another person that referred her to me and she said, I don't know what that guy does. I think it's magic. Whatever he's doing is magic. You know, and it's not magic. It's just directing people back to themselves. You know, when people get an understanding of, of themselves, it can feel like magic. You know, it can feel like this real enlightening moment. But it's not, it's not magic. You know, it's just allowing people to really create a space where people can compassionately inquire into what's going on for them. See, I think a compassionate inquiry, they, they, I think it's a wonderful name. I think it conjures up, um, it's really sort of, um, is onomatopoeic the right way to describe it? I don't know. It's, it's, it's suggestive of mood, attitude, feeling, emotion, practicality, direction, everything. It's, it, it does exactly what it says in the, on the tin. I had a look at the, the website. I know that you've been reading Gabriel Mate for a long time and some of your social media posts have referenced him for, for, for ages because it's quite a, a curious name and it's very not yes. one you're going to forget. And um, I went onto the website <clears throat> to look at the, you've given a brilliant definition of, of what compassionate query is. Evidently, it just, it, you know, it's not a website that I would immediately gravitate towards, you know. It's not something I go and look for. Um, and I think that's probably the same with most people that um, the idea from the, the, you know, the component, the four corners of emotional intelligence starts with like self-awareness and everybody goes, well, I'm okay with that. And they move on, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not, it doesn't really work like that, does it? No. Uh, and, and interestingly, in, in the work that I, <clears throat> the, the study, and I'm, st I'm, st I'm now an intern with Compassion Inquiry, the company, so I'm now working with them for them excellent uh and the, the first the the, the, the training comes in, in in three parts and the, the, the first part uh is uh understanding the theory and, and the, the terminology and, and, and how that how that all happens the second part is applying that to yourself and it's four months of you know really deep personal compassionate inquiry so you're inquiring you know you're asking questions and going deep but compassionately and i think sometimes people confuse this word compassion with oh they're there you know soothing you know <clears throat> you know patting your back and, and uh, making you a cup of tea the, the 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 last stage of compassion is the compassion of truth and truth isn't always comfortable or easy or sure. uh, soft you know, but that second period of, of you know, we call it clearing yourself <clears throat> to be able to sit with another person and hold the space for them. I need to be clear and clearing myself. And this is an ongoing process. And, you know, I can remember going through that, that period and some of my people that you know, would know me would say, are you okay, Kev? Things seem a bit dark for you there. And they were, you know, they, they, they were going and finding out that stuff about and validating my own story. Uh, being a, compa a compassionate witness to my own story uh, and allowing that stuff to come up and be spoken about, uh, your shame, your guilt, uh, 
your fears, uh, how you relate with people, your barriers, your defenses, your triggers. Uh, you know, getting to know your triggers is triggering. <laughs> you know? it is, uh, yeah. And and it can be sharp, and and uh, you know it, it can be uh, piercing. But there's no real reverse gear either once you start the process you kind of have to keep going don't you yeah yep. uh absolutely uh but i think then when you came through that second period you know it was almost like coming up out of you know being under the water and coming up and taking a big breath <gasps> oh you know to to go and go in there and learn that stuff about yourself but the point isn't to stay there you know the point is to the point is to uncover how your past is affecting your present and that's the important thing this isn't about going and staying in childhood or staying in trauma or this is about determining how is that affecting my present moment how is that affecting me in my relationships my work relationships my management style uh my uh, therapy style uh, my conversation style how is how is all that has happened to me having an effect on how I engage with the world right now. And that's, you know, that's enlightening. That is, you know, to, to understand that, that that's, that's how I engage with, with the people around me. That's how I engage with the staff, with management. Uh, I engage with them or was engaging with them through a filter of everything that has brought me to here. And if you're engaging with people through a filter of everything that's brought you here, then what you're not is present. You're not present. You know, you're, you, can't, you can't be if you're being led by your, by your past and, and, and by your history. You're just not present. Yeah, you know, like as you're talking in the, in the context of a, um, the personal benefits and the professional benefits, like you kind of had me thinking about environments where I'd be doing coaching or where I've worked in and... Um, you have these periods of team highs and team lows and individual highs mm-hmm. and lows, but it's something very industrial about the way we had been working up until recently, where in large organizations of high performance salespeople, medium performance salespeople, it's like you come in on a Monday, you just work your ass off until Friday, you have two days to recharge and you're back in the saddle again on Monday and you don't really, you're not really given the opportunity to take time and think. Now, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not broad sweeping across every industry. I know there are some some local companies that are, um, their their employee value proposition is kind of, they're so attractive to work for because they give their staff these things, space, mm-hmm. time, and support, and, and whatever else. But and maybe we're a product of our generations, but but back in the day, it was like my part chicken, you know, you're in for 30 days, and then you're on somebody's plate, and then we get the next 30 in. And you mm-hmm. just keep going, you keep going, and you keep going, and keep going. And it's not really sustainable, but it takes like a visionary boss, really, or a visionary management team to start seeing the benefits of pace, about space, and about, mm-hmm. um, you know, truly investing in people, true, really, really investing in people. And that doesn't mean bonuses, and it doesn't mean extra days, holidays. It means mm-hmm. allowing them to have discussions like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I go ahead. Say, Paul, I was just going to say, as you were chatting uh, there, I was reminded of something that I realized 
uh, just remembered and something that I realized used to really annoy me when I worked in Vodafone and, and we did rotas, you know, we did rotas for teams of 80 people or whatever, you know, uh, and they were generated on, on, on a computer, obviously. But it was listed as your shift. And then when you weren't working, it was called uh, a rest day. And just that connotation for me that, that, that the day that you were off was given to you to rest so that you could come back and work. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't uh, it wasn't called your day or family day or enjoyment day. It was called rest day. So just go away and rest so that you're able to come back and, and slog. Yeah. You know, uh, and even even those <laughs> tiny little things, you know, uh but I see them as massive, like that. You know, like you're yeah. clocking in and clocking out. That language, so yeah. so even that language, which is taken from a very industrial production era, is still used today. People say, "I'm oh, clocking in and clocking out," and they they use it as a um, you know, if, if you're you talk about compassionate inquiry, been, been sort of focusing on the, on the stories you've told yourself for years. This just compounds that narrative. Completely, your, your subconscious has got no breathing space. Like it's just sucking in all of this. Con- uh, confirmation bias, whatever whatever you want to call it. So you're just re relaying again and again and again. And for some people, like how do you break that cycle? Like where do you start to try and break that cycle? Well, I I think the first place to start is is well, firstly with the realization that you would like to do something about it, uh, an appreciation that you'd like to do something about it, and after that. For me, it's it's just having the conversation. It's it's just engaging with and involving your people. You know, and I think businesses of, of whatever size can sometimes be fearful of having this conversation for fear of an avalanche yeah. of you know responsibility to, to look after people. And even that, even for even for a management team, a business owner. To say, guys, I, I would like to have this conversation. However, I feel in me some fear about where it might lead. Just to be honest about that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I would love, I would love, I would love to inquire into this to see how you guys are doing. But I'm, I'm, I'm just a little concerned about where that will go. And immediately, you're, you're just opening space there for, for how you feel. You know, for, for, for how for what's going on for you. And I think when we do that and, and initiate that conversation, I think people then are respected, are respectful of that. You know, they can see, okay, I, I, I can see that I can see that you might be a little worried about where that might go. Uh, and for me there, there there's immediate an immediate initiation of trust and honesty. Here's what I'd like to do, here's how I feel about it. What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah. You know, or or, and even developing that, I, I, you know, I, I'd like to, I'd like us as a business to look into this. I think we have this amount amount of time to spend on it. Uh, I think we have this amount of money, if any, to spend on it. How do you think we'd best do that? Yeah, yeah. So the like the the somebody internally, and it doesn't always have to come from. The top down, like it could take uh, a promoter or a, sort of like an architect, cultural architect in the business to say, "Look, um, we've got a problem in some areas. Um, 
or the evidence is written in every front page yesterday, I think, of the BBC website was one in five suffers from depression at work, 26% of all days off are related to whatever. So it's an impact Mm -hmm. on the individual, it's an impact on the economy. Um, So it doesn't always have to come from the MD who's come in on the, you know, the the Monday morning and and over the weekend, like one of his best friend's uh, son is really depressed and, you know, I've got to do something about this. So there has to be a sense of purpose, doesn't there? There has to be kind of a shared vision. There has to be... um, some, it doesn't matter who, who suggests it, is what I'm trying to say, as long as it becomes a sense of purpose. Absolutely. Um, I think, Paul, though, that, that if, if a business is going to compassionately inquire into this, it has to be with integrity. It, it, has, to be, it, has, to be, it has to be real. And how little you can do, you know, some businesses will be able to do, you know, a massive amount some businesses will not. They'll only be able to do a little bit. But whatever it is that you're able to do, it's to do that with integrity, openness, honesty, uh, and just creating a space for that. And, and you know, it's, it's, I think it's okay for businesses to say, guys, here's what we can do. How, how, do, how do we use this well? You know, and we can't all be Nikes and, and Googles and, and you know, uh, have uh, bunk beds for going for an afternoon sleep and, and you know, all this kind of stuff. We'd love to, but, but we can't. But we can do, we can, you know, can we create a space in, in, in our workplace that is gadget-free and, and TV-free and phone-free that people are allowed to use for five or ten minutes in the afternoon? And is that, is that just two seats at a window? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so whatever it is to, to be done with integrity, I think is important. I think, yeah, that's a valuable um, p- point to discuss, Kevin. You know, really, because a lot of the times it's um, go and Google table tennis table and pool table, and we'll bring in a couple of things like that, and we'll maybe paint the the canteen funky colours a bit like Google. Why don't we? And then all of a sudden they think, well, that's got to work. So we've 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 ticked that box and let's move on. But this is like a continuum, you know. This is for the people you have yet to employ. This is about creating a safe place for people to come and work. This is about reviewing the place where the people are working there currently are working. And um, you can link it to uh, productivity. You can link it to profitability. You can link it to humanity. You can link it to spirituality. You can link it to everything. But it does have to be, um, you know, there has to be authentic. It has to be really authentic. It has to be. And, and I, I read a great quote, I don't know where it was recently, that, that uh, people actually don't mind adversity. In fact, they thrive on it. What people mind and suffer from is being made to feel obsolete, is being made to feel redundant, like they have no input, no say, no, no control, that they're not heard. So when things are tough in a business and things are, there is a bit of adversity, people thrive on that if they're given the opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a real shift in, in, in business, you know, that uh, we're employing people at 25, 45, 85 grand a year. Give them the responsibility for making our workplace better. We set parameters, we set boundaries, you know. Uh, of course, somebody might say, well, let's all just only work one day a week. Great, you know. Uh, 
So that's a, that's a ridiculous parameter, but give people an, an, an input, you know, give people an input that, uh, and, and find some balance, you know, allow people to find balance that what, what can we do together? Here's what the business needs. Here's what our people need. Can we find common ground? Can we find balance in the middle? Uh, and I think when we give people that and that respect, their productivity goes up. There's no their, their engagement goes up. Uh, yeah. Their interest goes up. Uh, as you said before, their sick days go down. You know, turnover goes down. Yeah. There's a lot of things coming together, you know, that, that, that maybe the pandemic has shone a light on, but uh, staff retention, recruitment, getting the right people, having a cultural fit. I was a client that I may remain nameless. I'm just kind of, as I speak, I wonder whether it's uh, a good thing to give them the publicity I think they deserve. Um, I do a bit of work with them and uh, they've got 45, 50 people and um, they profile their staff, emo- em- like in, in not a emotionally profile them, but they put together kind of uh, documents that likes and dislikes, you know, they do um, sort of, Enneagram, psychometric testing, all that sort of stuff, but they use it properly. Like they don't, they don't wheel in a consultant to do a Myers Briggs and hand them out. Now look, look, you see that you are, yeah, and then they want the next person, and you're one of those people too. Like this is all about okay. So if they're they're not react well in that environment because they're they're social animals, you need to put them with five or six people, and then they genuinely have this concern about their emotional well being, and um, they're crushing it, man. They're making the, the team just looks like 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 um, the perfect fit. It will be like that Barcelona team that won everything. They'll be like that Manchester United team that will win the treble in 1999, like the Celtic team that are doing stuff, all of that. And it's creating those so many different um, aspects of creating that perfect environment. And the point that, that I, I suppose I want to come to in that is um, the MD gave his second in command a new company car um, about five months ago, six months ago, it's a, it's a brand new Jag, um, a beautiful other thing, you know, it's uh, one of these battery power jobs, like it's really class, you know. Um, I'm so not into my cars, I can't describe it at all, but it just looks really easy on the eye and very easy in the pocket, but, you know, uh, and the environment and all that. And the language that was used to hand over the car was like the language you would use to give a gift to your wife or your partner it was pure, sincere, authentic, like, thank you. You've deserved, you deserve this, man. You really deserve this. And I had, I had like, I had to be, I was kind of, I know it happens in other places, um, but you don't have to give somebody a 70 grand car and have it meaningful for it to have that impact. You can give them a half day off. You can give them, um, some time with a consultant like you that you can give them um, vouchers for Marks and Spencers to the value of 30 quid but said in such a way that the value is not in the, in the gift it's in the giving absolutely and, and I think Paul what, what you're describing there for me and even if you know it's interesting as I, as I be mindful of myself as you're telling that story you know emotionally and energetically as you're telling that I, I can feel the warmth in that story, you know, I can, I can feel that. And I'm imagining how would that person receiving that car feel? They would feel like a million dollars, you know, and how would the, how would the team watching that person receiving this gift feel? 
they would feel like a million dollars. And really what that managing director has said to a second in command is, I see you. Completely. I I see what you're doing. I see you. You know, uh, you have been seen. Totally. You know, your 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 efforts are appreciated, your your value is is immense, and you have been seen. And whether that is we can actually just go to someone and say that there can be no gift at all. Exactly. And and for a for a for an AMD to walk along and set down a cup of tea and say, Do you know what? I see you. You're 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 doing so well and and, and I really appreciate the effort that you're putting in here. And you have been seen and heard. Can you imagine being that employee? Oh, I, and, the, and the thing that, that you don't get the benefit of is that I saw the employee. And, I, and you know, there's a, there's a stage, there's a cycle um, of three years and different emotional states of loving your car. Like you, you love it. It's amazing. Yeah, it's your car. It's a dump. You need to get a new one, whatever. It's like yeah. this, this guy will until the end love this car because of the way it was gifted to him. I know that for a fact. And he's energized and he's really, he's positive anyway, but you're trying to get like that extra three or four percent out of somebody that's done. That guy's committed again. He's, he's, he's reinvigorated. He's really passionate. That enthusiasm then filters down to the rest of his team. And I, and I got to say something, Kevin, too, that it's important that for my authenticity uh, in all of this, doing the podcast, is that I wish I'd known this stuff 10 years ago because I was, I would have been, no, I would have been, I was really hard to, I would have been impossible to work for because my, um, the, the language that was used to me growing up was one of, um, get on with it, the fuck. Yeah. And, and even working at, at, at a pinnacle, if I call it a pinnacle, a place where I see myself doing work that I can stand over today and I'm very proud of. And I, 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 I look back fondly with that time, pains and everything. You know, it was unfor- uh, uh, you know, unforgiving. It was really tough. There was like a, not ritual, humiliation. Like, but if you did want to chastise somebody, you'd have done it in public. It wouldn't have mattered. Like, there was none of this, you know, praise in public and chastise in private. It was like, here, that was shite. And and you you kind of um, you you got into thinking that that was the only way you know mm. you got into thinking that was the only way. So the benefit that I have at the minute, and, and I'm sure you see this a lot too, and maybe we can we can talk about this, is that as you go around from company to company and organization to organization, you see the different cultures. You have the the benefit of that third eye, that that kind of. Um, the, per, the perspective changes and you can see things and sometimes you look at things and go, God, I, I'm glad I don't work here. Uh, sometimes you can go, this is quite interesting. I can see what they're doing. And then with these guys, um, you can just go, I'd, I'd love to work here. Like, mm-hmm. do you know? And uh, there's a lot to be said about having that ability to go from co- company to company to organization to individual to see the world differently rather than just thinking Google's the only way to do it or Twitter, let's follow Twitter or, you know, let's just do it this way. Does that make sense? Paul, totally agree. And, and I just wanted to, to share a little thing just as you were saying there that that, that idea had, you know, had I known this 10 years ago. Interestingly, just yesterday, I had a thought and I, I, I put on a, a social media post and I said, me, I wish I could do it all over again. I would be so much better at it the second time round. Also me, you can tomorrow. You know, yeah. uh, and, and I think that with my parenting, 
uh, you know, with, with my management style, uh, you know, with, with my relationships. Oh, I wish I could do that all over again with the knowledge that I have now. You know, I'd, I'd be so much better. Uh, and I can. Tomorrow. Yeah. Today, so the, you know, you know. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and another thing that I learned really, really early you know, and I have to credit myself because I, I didn't know that I knew this at the time, but part of my role in, in Vodafone was, was traveling around different stores. And, uh, you know, I, I used to get dropped in the stores, uh, you know, the, the, the fixer, you know, the sorter router. And can you go and sort that store out here? Uh, and I knew immediately, you know, whether this was energetically or, or, or just how the display was and particular, particularly how salespeople interacted with customers, how those relationships were, I could, I could draw you up a psychological profile of the, of the manager without a shadow of a doubt. You know, the, 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 that, that, that culture was top down and how management spoke to sales staff was how sales staff spoke to customers. Uh, you, you could totally see it. Uh, and how salespeople carried themselves, how they interacted with people, how they interacted with each other. Uh, the, the, and that's the culture. You know, yeah. that's, that's the culture of the place. That, to me, was always driven by management. Always. Without a shadow of a doubt. You know? uh, and that was always really interesting to me. Yeah, I, I think that um, I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I've gone through the journey. Maybe some of the people I work with weren't. Um, but I was glad that I went through it to realize when, as a coach or a mentor, or as a trainer, or as a teacher, that you've got perspective. And, you know, it's not really about what you think, you know, it's not your way or the highway. Like, it's it's just so, so easy to get caught up in the, I've done this, I've got all this experience, just do it my way. Because mm. um, that's, nobody flourishes that way. Nobody. You don't grow as a manager. You don't, you don't certainly don't grow anything but resentment as a, as a work colleague. And I think the, the idea that, um, and, and it's a learning process too from coaching because you do, even from some of the, the, the harder examples, you pick up stuff that you just would never have seen before. And um, there's kind of a, a, I feel lucky, you know, I feel lucky to have gone through that stuff, but I see now what, it, what if, you know, I'm not going to say if I knew, if I knew then what I know now, but um, bring in their guys, own there's something there, yeah. There's something, there's something there. Um, a, yeah, so where were we? Yeah, okay, right, so culture. Um, let's move on to culture just for a wee bit. Um, mm. It's not like it's very, very de rigueur to talk about culture and businesses now, but it's kind of the glue that, it's the glue for profitability, it's the glue for success. It's really, it's more important than, than it's the most important thing right now. I'm guessing the, you're working with a lot of businesses to help develop cultural strategies. Uh, yes. Uh, it's interesting, Paul, uh, you know, just as you mentioned that, that my, my wife, who also does similar work, asked me only about three weeks ago, uh, what does culture mean to you? It's like, oh, that, that's a good question. And for me, I, I think I quickly came up with the idea for me, Culture is the manifestation or the outworkings of a company's or an organization's values. 
that that's that's what it is, you know. And it's it's not always physical, but it's it. What I mean is, it's 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 in the real world. It's in the conversations. It's in their interactions. Uh, it's that outworking culture is the outworking of of, of values. Values are things on paper, you know. And, and and for me, culture is that when when values become real, when they end up in in the world in, in that in that working world, uh, and. I think it. I think it can also be perceived as a quite a high polluting thing, you know, that our, our culture, uh, and it doesn't have to be, you know. Really, culture is just who we are, how we are, how we engage with each other, how we engage with our customers, how we engage with our suppliers. That that's all it is, you know. I, I had a culture. In my cafe, that that in, you know employed ten staff, you know we we had a culture, you know, and we were a, we were a, a provincial you know county down cafe, but we had a culture, uh, and you know Google has a culture. We were employing X amount of people. IBM employing half a million people around the world have a culture, but it doesn't have to be this very high polluting strategic, uh, you know, unattainable thing. It's just, how do we want to be? How do we want to engage in the world? That's yeah. it. That's so good, how do we want to be is a good, is a good, uh, as good a description of it as, um, as you're going to get, yeah. Yeah, and, and asking someone that question directly, a, a manager or a director or a sales team leader or, you know, how do you want to be? Well, that's, uh, that's, that's a good enough question. If I was asked to, to ask your customers, how does, that, how does that company engage with you? They'll talk, they don't know that they're going to talk about culture, but they'll talk about culture. Yeah. Uh, if I ask sales team how does your how does your your line manager engage with you? They're going to talk about culture. They don't know it, but they're going to talk about culture. Uh, you know, if we ask management teams, how do you engage with each other? They're going to talk about culture. They might know it again, but that's what they're that's what they're going to talk about, and that's all it is. It's just the outworking of how we want to be. Yeah, that's very true. Like I um have seen again going through businesses and talking to different sales people and sales managers and, and C-suite directors, you, um, it, it, culture always, it means something to everybody, mm-hmm. but it's kind of having this central agreed purpose, this shared vision of and buy-in and inclusivity and the creation of the culture. So um, I, I, I was working with a guy about three or four years ago and we were creating a sales strategy for the business and a kind of a, account-based marketing and a whole lot of different stuff and a whole lot of very similar predictable stuff and the took a lot of work putting the strategy in place and and, um, writing the strategy at least sorry and we were sitting down to try and sign it off and we were we we went back and forward and and, um, I said to him like I said this is the right this is the right in my opinion this is the right strategy to take you forward but I'm just not sure that the culture is right for this because you're asking an awful lot of a lot of people 
but we're asking an awful lot of a lot of people and it's going to be a um it's like a paradigm shift for some of them you know and it's going to be you're going to have to deal with that and without like missing the beat he said no no we we covered off culture in february <laughs> you know so, so that's done yeah so that's done that's nice mm. and then move on and um i think it's also be careful for be careful what you wish for because if you're looking to change culture like you've got to be ready to roll up sleeves and put a serious shift to hard work because mm. it's just not like cosmetic in fact the last thing it is is cosmetic any cosmetic change should be an outcome and a consequence of an embedded culture it shouldn't start with the pool table and all that cosmetic nonsense like it's easy, it's, easy to say, it's easy to say when you've got two guys talking and you're not running a team of 45 people and you've got time restraints and profitability restraints and all that. So, Yeah, but you know, just as you're chatting there around culture, I, I kind of was outworking my own question in my head whilst listening to you. And I was imagining going to, you know, uh, a sales team of four, you know, that had Mary and, and, and Tom and, and Peter and, and Susan. And saying to them, how would you like us to be? Yeah. I don't know. Can't be sure. But I don't know that, that many of them would rank more money top of that list or, or a pool table top of that list. Or uh, I think that if you ask those four people, how would you like us to be? They would talk about understanding compassion yeah encouraging exactly. supportive open uh reflective uh trusting that I, I get the impression that those are the sort of things that they that they would that they would talk about you know uh and that then opens a whole that opens a okay let's let's have that conversation you know let's see if we can be how you would like us to be uh, and what would that mean to you if we were like how you would like us to be? And I think that those teams would say, well, I would be happier. I would be more productive. I would be more relaxed. Uh, I would be enthused. Uh, I would go the extra mile. I would give more. Uh, I would appreciate my colleagues more. I would value what you're doing for me more. I think that's the sort of things people would talk about if you just said to them, how would you like us to be? Yeah. That's really well framed there, yeah, totally. I, and it's um, it's it's probably an ages thing, but I'm thinking of guys around maybe our age who grew up in a certain climate in a certain period of Irish history, and um, it, it there was this there, there was almost like um, stoicism would would have been proudly displayed, you know, and you'd have been really really proud to tell people, no, it is what it is, and sure, yeah, you get on with it and everything else, and. I can see the people that I'm working with, the, the people of different ages who are, who are really, really into uh, employee value, mm-hmm. who really, really are, are using the language that you've just used, who are, who are trying to um, be empaths, the real sense of it, to understand fully what it feels like to sit behind that desk for eight hours a day. And then when you want them to work the ninth, how, how are you going to get them to do that? But more importantly, how are they going to enjoy Saturday and Sunday? And how are mm-hmm. they going to come in on the Monday morning invigorated to do the same again? Guys of my age, maybe, are you know, fuck, I don't know what's wrong with them. Like, we bring fruit every day, they get fruit every day, and should we paint the office? Like, you know, 
why is it not working? <laughs> and it's a, it's a mindset change. And, and the compassionate inquiry is, is really, uh, you know, the fish rots from the head, whatever. So you've got to go to the, the guys, at the, the, the decision makers at, at board level, almost simultaneously or whatever, and discuss the core stories that they're telling themselves. Completely. But the way they're doing things, it doesn't matter if it's right or not, but those ways can change. They don't have to be. It doesn't have to be like this. Mm-hmm. And you're not, you're not forfeiting anything. You're, there's not going to be a risk of, of, of a decreased pro, uh, profitability or loss in sales. And it's, it's like, you know, what, what's it going to look like if it stays like this? And I, lo- I love your question there, Paul. And again, just it's, very, it's, it's creating those, those images in, in, in my mind. And that's, you actually answered all the questions, you know, and, and if, if we ask those management teams and those managing directors, what do you believe will happen if you don't operate the way you're operating now? That's a great question. And that, that'll give you all the answers you want. You know, if, you don't do how, if you don't do what you're doing right now, what, what is the story you're telling yourself? What, what yeah. do you believe right now? All the places fall apart. They'll all be taking days off. You know, nobody will give a damn. You know, uh, I'm sure the sales figures would drop. You know, and 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 when when a when a, a leader has that belief, and that's the story they're telling they're telling themselves, that's very fixed. Yeah. You know, that's and that, that's their that's their fear. So, you know, what happened in your life when you relinquished control, or that you didn't have control? And there were adverse effects. Yeah. What, what, what went on for you that that happened? Uh, and I got, that's a great question to ask a, a leadership team. What do you believe will happen if you don't do things how you're doing them right now? Yeah. It's definitely space in the, there has to be space in the agenda for conversations and discussions like, the, like these, Kevin, at, at, at any sides of a business. And it's not just the domain of the, larger SME you know it's like the two two the two team guys around the, co- the corner there who are who are making uh, coffees and scones and they're doing it really well but they 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 don't want to just keep on doing it like that do they no of course they don't the guy the guy and um who's who's running the news agent and who's saying you know newspapers aren't being bought like he just can't keep on doing what he's doing because there's an inevitability about that so it's about making time I, I guess as a as a the awareness starts with awareness but then to be aware, you've got to take time to look. Absolutely, and Paul, you know, I, 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 I just got a, a sense that, that certainly don't want to seem as if uh, you know you or I or both of us are sitting on any moral high ground, because when I reflect on on my time uh, previously in, in in management roles and owning my own businesses, I believed that if I wasn't there, the place would go to shit. You know, that there would be no food on plates. Every customer would be complaining. There'd be no money in the till. I, I held that belief. And that outworked at times into my staff that, that, that they didn't feel trusted, that they didn't feel oh, empowered. Yeah. You know, they yeah. didn't feel respected. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. having to learn, having to learn that that's how I felt. That's, that's the belief that I was carrying. And how to work through that, you know, to allow people to make mistakes. Oh, well, what do you think you could do differently next time? Okay, maybe try that then. Yeah. You know, uh, you know so it's, I, I ain't sitting on any moral high ground and, and uh, totally understand that these, these feelings and these fears 
Oh, same as Kevin, like totally. And and like the the that um what I said earlier, like wasn't wasn't kind of like a an epiphany, and it certainly wasn't a confessional moment. It's just fact, you know. Like I um the the to make it sound easy is not really the purpose of all this. It's to sound like it's an opportunity for growth um, to discuss to, to have this discussion. I I, I would be more um, introspective and reflective now than at any other point in my life and. Um, the the awareness thing is it's it's not easy, but it's not a competition to be to be to, to be better than you or to be better than the you know the guy outside. It's about development inside. It's trying to be better than you were yesterday. I think is 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 the way. Uh, like um, there's no I wouldn't be able to point you to a book or to a company that has got a culture sorted out that you could go and take and hand it to somebody else. It's all very very individual. It's all very mm-hmm. And, and I think probably the benefit of, of my life to now is as much based on the failures as it is on the successes. You know, I, I'm, I'm comfortable saying that. Like, I've no, it took me a while to, because, to, like, you know, growing up and, and whatever, and that's not a label or an excuse. That's just a fact of it. But working for some of the people I worked with in London, like, who were the best in Western Europe at what they did, and I would have been good enough in there at what I did. So, therefore, I thought, fuck, I'm classic. Hmm. I, I've kind of landed here. So who's next? Where do I go next? And that mindset was basically, um, that was a story. It wasn't a mindset. That was a story I told myself for a long, long time. And I, I, I used that badly. And I'd rather, and even the idea of the difference between being a coach and being a mentor, you know? Mm. And like, I personally think that there's some people do need mentoring and some people do need to be pointed, but the kingdom of God comes from within. Like it's all inside you. Absolutely. And and, and Paul, when you can create that space for your teams and your management structures and your organizations, I I often, in fact, probably always when I speak to people, I don't know that I tell them anything that they don't know, you know, but I might highlight some things that, they know and they're not doing or, or, or really interestingly, when I speak with other mentors and other coaches and I, I'm chatting to them, uh, they're like, Oh, that's what I tell. That's what I tell. That's what I tell the people that I'm working with. You know, I was like, so, you know, I, I, I know, I, I know I should be operating like that. And that's how I tell other people to operate, but I don't do it. So I'm not telling them things that they don't know, you know, yeah. uh, but it's just allowing that to come up for them. Oh yeah, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I knew that. And you'll find that most organisations, most teams, they'll know. You know, they know, they know their answers, and they're just restricted by lots of things that that they're that they're not able to implement those. And when you can create a bit of space and say, "You guys know this. You guys are actually really good at this." Uh, what about just creating a bit, a little bit of space to allow that to to permeate, to filter through your organisation? Let's see how that works out. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it, it, you um, it, it, when you said it like that, it makes so much sense. You know, you make time for everything else. You make time for your IT strategy. You make time for your HR strategy. You make time for your uh, review and your procurement. You make time, blah blah blah. And you know, if it is that old idiom that your people are your most important asset, like why are you not making this kind of time for it? You know, absolutely. And you know, Paul, it's it's, it's interesting and. and uh, come back to speaking to people that I would help open cafes, you know, and, and I know a couple, uh, you know, and, and certainly in, in, in my area, that they're fit out, 
their cafe fit out was you know 80 grand or 100 grand which is a lot of money for a cafe mm-hmm. and i'll say so you know what about the team uh you know the, the, there's great training we could get those guys all on for for three grand oh jesus no i don't get three grand for that you know but but they're buying chairs at 400 pound a piece you know i'm thinking guys seriously you know in, in, invest in these people you know, and, and you be, I think in a business, when you invest in your people, you will be forgiven for an awful lot else. Uh, when you invest in your people, your customers will forgive you for an awful lot. Uh, you know, that your customers will be closer to you. Uh, they will be open and honest with you. Uh, they will be respectful of you. But if you don't invest in your people, then you just get that friction straight away, you know, uh, internally and externally. Uh, but, but people don't, they'll spend, you know, X amount of grand on IT, X amount of grand on this, that, and the other. Uh, but talking about the, the well-being, the health, uh, the attitude of their teams, you know, not doing that box, you know, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. You know, should they get paid? You know, they get paid 20 grand a year. Uh, well, that stuff isn't my problem. You know, uh, and and I think just a little bit of engagement in that area reaps massive rewards for an organisation. Yeah, you know, if you if you put it down to a four hundred pound chair and a really engaged, motivated, pleasant, professional um, waiter or waitress or barman or whatever who's getting I don't know what minimum wage and a little bit, but all the benefits, you know, where, where does the value come from? Does it come from the chair? Hardly, you know, and I think we're past that. I think we're past going to places where we're seeing, no, no, we're not. Some people are still going to places. Once they open again, we want to be seen in places that are built exclusively for you to be seen in. But the real value comes from somebody who's pouring a drink or serving a meal with, with love and a bit of attention and care and has thought about you've just rushed in and you're late. You know, you take it easy. Don't you worry. I'll get your coat for you, whatever, you know, and those things are, are, are really priceless because that's the stuff that creates advocacy. You know, that's the stuff that generates referral and word of mouth, not, not the price of the seat. Like, can I, can I tell you, oh, can I tell you a quick story? If you don't mind slipping into story mode, if it's all right. Cause I wrote just with your chat and I wrote a blog a couple of years ago, uh, when, when myself and, and Mrs. Young, uh, we went to eat out in a, in a fairly well-to-do uh, restaurant. And uh, we, we were going on to, to, to a music thing. So we were an early diner, uh, you know, like dining at like half five or something. You know. uh, um, we went into this, this restaurant and went in through the door and there were two other people dining. Uh, there was the which turned out to be the, the owner manager S lady at a till a, a, a bit of a distance back, a couple of waiting staff away at the back, hanging around the serve over chatting to the, the chefs and Mrs. Young and I came into the restaurant and uh, there was no greeting. There was no welcome. We kind of went in and, and you know, you have that moment of, uh, you know, do we, do we wait? Do we move on? Do we, you know, what, what, where, where do we go? Where do we stand? So immediately you're feeling like a bit of a, you know, a bit awkward. What 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 do I do here? Uh, 
and and probably I don't know forty five seconds or one minute later, which felt like an hour, uh, the 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 manageress lady uh, looked down at us and came walking down and said, "Hello, can I help you?" Now, Mrs. Young and I had booked a table for five thirty. It was five thirty. Mm-hmm. There was only two other people in the restaurant. <laughs> for me, yeah. you know, with my little experience, she might have come down and said. Are you Mr. and Mrs. Young? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but she didn't. Uh, hello, can I help you? Mm. Uh, have, no, have you booked? Mm-hmm. Have you booked? Uh, yeah, we have. I said, oh, hang on, I'll just go check. Sorry, I, I, I just told you that we had, you know, you have two people standing here. Uh, you only have two other names on your list. It's 5.30. There's nobody else coming in. You know, <laughs> chances are we're yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Young. Yeah. Hang on, I'll just go check. Yeah. She walked back to her desk, and, and I'm saying to my wife, did you book? You know, uh, she's like, yeah, I did. You know, immediately we're going, are, are we booked? You know, yeah. that doubt, you know, that, that doubt. Uh, and she said, yeah, you, you, yes, you did. Like, yeah, we know we did. Yeah, we just, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, so for even for her to come to us with that clipboard, and this is culture, to come to us with that clipboard, and say, oh, hello, you, Mr. and Mrs. Young. Uh, yes, we are. Delighted to see you. Uh, we have your table ready for you. Uh, you're, you're over here. Uh, that didn't happen. So immediately, there we, we're in the place three minutes, and, and we're already feeling, oh, you know, oh, it's a bit awkward. Uh, sat down and uh, taking our order, and, and I was driving. No, we, we both weren't drinking. And the lady was like, I'll bring you a cocktail list. I was like, no, no, we're, we're, we're fine. She's no, no, I'll bring it to you. I was like, okay. Uh, so she brought the cocktail list down, you know, and, and we ordered it. Would you like a cocktail? No, 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 we're fine. We have cocktails on special, you know. Into the hard sale, right? Into the hard sale, you know. I'm like, yeah. we're fine, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, this, this, so we ordered our food and uh, our food, food was beautiful, by the way. Food was the best thing about the place. Food was absolutely stunning. But we finished our main courses. No, we finished our starters. And down arrived uh, this, this little waiter with our with our, our main courses, you know, one at each hand, and our starter plates were still on the table, you know. And he arrived down, and, and I was just I was kind of enjoying this interaction, and I kind of looked at him. We both looked at the the the, the starter plates still on the table, and you know I looked at him looking at the starter plates, and he looked at me looking at the starter plates while he still had two plates in his hand and two starter plates here, and he's kind of thinking, you know, just this awkwardness of. Uh, uh, he's like, okay, hang on. And I turned around and put our plates on the table behind us mm-hmm. while he lifted our starter plates, put them on the other table, then got our main courses and set them down. Uh, and that's training. Yeah. You know, for Christ's sake, is table two tiered the starters? Yeah. You know, uh, that's just investing in people a little bit of training. You know, they could see our table from the serving hatch. They've still, somebody go and lift those plates. Uh, you know, Paul, again, this, if, if this had been a pub that we were buying a five-pound bowl of stew, great. You know, that, that is what it is. But this was a high-end restaurant uh, that, that the culture uh, didn't exist. You know, that yeah. staff training didn't exist. And food was amazing. Would I, did we go back? No. Yeah. No, we didn't. We didn't. In fact, I wrote a blog about it, you know. And, and yeah. So to spend a few hundred quid getting or, or to be closed for a day pay the staff to come in 
let's have a look at customer flow. What happens when someone comes in? What we'd like to do? How we would like to be? Yeah. Didn't happen. Yeah, and there's probably a thousand other stories just like that, Kevin, that we've all all experienced. And on the flip side, those that get it right, do you remember? Like you do completely. You remember? I think I think the idea that is before you project outside, project inside. Before you tell the rest of the world, you know, it's like um, a credibility before visibility. Completely. You know, so that, that was that. Is- I'm, I'm going to have to I'm, I'm only going to say I'm going to have to I, I'd love to be talking on forever here but I'm conscious of we've maybe um, yeah we're about an hour in here so right okay we'll, we'll talk loads haven't we we can surely and listen thank you we'll maybe get another uh, go at this at some point um, it's been really interesting genuinely really interesting and I think the guys that, that listen to this will, will take a lot out of it um, if they wanted to get in touch with you what's the best way to do that if people want to um, further their own conversations with you individually. What what should ab- they do? Absolutely. Uh, I am on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and my website is www.in-myand.com. So in mind with a hyphen and a Y. Uh, okay. And then Kevin Young on LinkedIn, Kevin Young on Facebook. Uh, Kevin Young on, on Instagram. Uh, I don't know, I'm always happy to chat. Always happy to have a conversation and, and you know, always happy to uh, be helpful, you know. I'll, I'll stick all of those uh, different addresses and domain names and everything on the uh, podcast notes, Kevin. I, I would make a final recommendation and as a testimonial that it's more than just worthy of having a brief chat. Um, the it's it's a, a valuable asset having the discussion and, and to create awareness within somebody, if that's the only thing that you do to make somebody else more aware of those um, conversations that they have been unconsciously having with themselves for 30 or 40 years, then I think it's no bad place to start, man. So um, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Um, and we'll get, we'll get talking again soon. Appreciate it. Take care. Right.